The first reading can be found on page 708, 708 of the Bibles beside you. Reading from Isaiah, chapter 25. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvellous things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honour you, Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in, this, in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, and the second reading is taken from John, chapter 21, first 19 verses, which are on page 1090. Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large numbers of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of our Lord. Everyone, I'd be really encouraged if you would keep John 21 open before you. We're going to work our way through that this morning. Uh, Have a look at verse 12 as we start. John 21 and verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It's probably one of the ultimate wish-you-were-here moments of the New Testament. None of the disciples dared to ask him. They knew it was the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody they know, and yet someone who's now different, belonging to a different existence. The first fruits of the new creation, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Here is the Lord putting the disciples at ease and barbecuing them breakfast on the beach. It's full of power and resonance. It's a meal which looks back to other meals that have come before, the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper. And it also looks forward. It's grand and yet it's simple. It's every day and it's completely out of the ordinary. A bit like the resurrection. Christ is risen. He's risen, not just in our hearts and in our minds, not just in some spiritual subjective sense, but he's bodily risen from the dead. He's actually before them, preparing a fire, turning over the coals, 
and grilling some fish and eating with them. John's Gospel is perhaps, well, it probably is my favorite of the four uh, Gospels. And it's a Gospel that's full of signs. It's full of signs. Signs are events uh, of things which point beyond themselves to other things. And they act as evidences for us, for you and I. Evidences which have a purpose so that you and I may stop, take note, and believe. Look at the uh, two verses that come before our reading in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Flick over the page and look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Luke begins the next phase of his story here by saying, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What are we thinking about this morning? Well, we're thinking about the heartbeat of the Christian faith. It's about a God who's overcome death. And he's this world's Lord. And he's making breakfast on the beach. And he's feeding his people. And ghosts. Well, ghosts don't usually do breakfast, do they? And these fishermen, these disciples, they didn't suffer fools gladly. They know, like we know, that dead people don't come back to life. Dead men don't rise. And yet this man has. This is no hallucination. The master of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, uh, is on the beach enjoying the morning sun and he's grilling some fish for his people. Just try and imagine how these guys would have felt. Uh, they've, they've been through a roller coaster 10-day period. Emotionally speaking, it's been pretty hard for them. There was the ultimate high on Palm Sunday as Jesus comes into the city as the king and everyone shouts out, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And then five days later, he's led out of the city and he's crucified. He's nailed to a tree and buried in a tomb. 72 hours later, the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away and there's no body inside. And then the peace to resistance, they see him. They see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do when you've been on an intense, emotional, spiritual roller coaster? John 21 verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. That's a pretty chilled out thing to do, isn't it? When life's been pretty tough. Verse 1 and 2 tell us that seven of them jump into the boat to do a spot of night fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I've been there, it's a beautiful place. And I think we see two miracles in this account. The first one's this. Seven of the seven disciples, most of them are highly experienced fishermen, head out on familiar waters fishing. And at the end of verse 3, we're told that they caught nothing. Well, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? They're out all night long, and they catch not one fish. What's that all about? Could it be that there's no future for Jesus' disciples in this kind of fishing? Well, I think that's certainly possible. 
A few years ago, some friends and I went fishing. We went boat fishing off the needles on the Isle of Wight. And it cost me the best part of £100 to go fishing for just over four hours. And we took this boat out, and on the way out, the captain of the boat was telling us of the whoppers that they'd been catching all week in this fishing spot. So I'm baited up, ready to go with my boat fishing rod, and it's out in the water, and I've been fishing for ages, and guess what? At the end of four hours, I caught absolutely nothing, not one fish. Stuart Harris, uh, who... Uh, who's a great fisherman, and he comes here on a Sunday morning. He and I went fishing on South Sea Pier. Anyone been fishing off the pier? Well, we went pretty close to Christmas, and um, the only thing that I caught that day was a cold. Um, And the other thing that I caught was I got all the fishing tackle on this line snagged on the pier. So Stuart wasn't best pleased with me either. But it was helpful because it serves as an illustration for me this morning. And it's helpful also because um, I know now that if parish ministry doesn't work out, then that's another job that I shouldn't be thinking uh, about stepping into either. Now, I don't know about how you are at receiving instructions early in the morning. I'm pretty hopeless at it, particularly if I've had a long and busy evening. And just kind of have a look at verse 5 with me uh, in our text. Bright and early the next morning, imagine someone saying something like this to you. All right, lads, haven't you caught any fish? I mean, how grumpy would your no be? I mean, mine would be very, very grumpy uh, indeed. And then verse 6, he said to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they were did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Well, here's our second miracle or sign for us. Jesus supernaturally provides for his disciples. At the word of Jesus, they are inundated with fish, unable to haul the net in. When I caught the pier, when I was out fishing with Stuart, there was this kind of briefest moment when I thought, I've got a whopper on the end of my line. And then as I then pulled the line back, it then got snagged. And I thought, just for a moment, maybe it is a fish, but it wasn't. The rod bent over. Uh, I was momentarily happy, but then very sad to have to cut Stuart's line and lose all his fishing tackle. I'm sorry about that, Stuart, if you listen on the tape, if you're not here this morning. But these guys, what a catch for them. I mean, what a catch. What joy, unable to haul in this net full of such a large number of fish. And then there's this moment's recognition. Verse 7 tells us, John, John sees, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. And no quicker than he said this, Peter's out the boat and swimming to shore. And the lads are hot on his heels trying to bring in this net full of fish with the boat. And Jesus is there on the beach already preparing fish finger sandwiches for everyone. And everyone gets a sign. Look at verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed on board and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. It's a miracle, isn't it? So many large fish that the net is not torn. What joy to have counted out 153 whoppers. I mean, that's brilliant. I'd have been happy if I caught one. But 153, that's amazing. And Jesus says something remarkable here. He says, 
He says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Bring some of what you've just caught. Bring your gifts. Bring your talents. Add to what I'm already cooking. Bring your labors, the works of your hands, to what I'm doing. Just kind of think about this for a moment. They're out on the boat. They've caught nothing all night. And Jesus says, throw your net out of that side. Is it them that's caught this fish, provided these fish? No, it's Jesus. But Jesus says, bring what you've got. Bring what you've got. Come and join in. Isn't this amazing? It shows we've got a wonderful God, haven't we? He meets all of our needs. They got rest and they got fed. They were hungry and they were satisfied. Two things we've got to see from this passage. First is this. Jesus feeds his apostles. Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. Amen? He's a good shepherd to us. The good shepherd who promises to feed his sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's a wonderful promise for us to hang on to. We can't be snatched out of Jesus' hands. He's the risen Lord Jesus and he's on a beach and he's feeding his people. And that's his primary concern. After the resurrection, Jesus' primary concern is to feed his apostles. Well, why is this so significant? Well, now they've been fed, they can help to feed others. Now they've been fed, we can see that what Jesus has done through them and with them is authentic and reliable and right, and they can feed us too. Um, a Sri Lankan theologian by the name of D.T. Niles and a Methodist preacher. I think he was the first to use this phrase. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he's found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he's found bread. And what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is bread for our souls before us this morning. The apostolic witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ is true and accurate and reliable. And it's been preserved for 2,000 years so that we can feed on it, so that we can be satisfied and well-fed. It's the real deal. Look at the last two verses in John 21. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have had room for the books that would have been written. But these are the books that have been written to feed us and to satisfy us. Jesus feeds his apostles. And then Jesus calls his apostles to feed his sheep. That's my second point. Jesus calls his apostles to feed his sheep. Look at verse 15 of chapter 21. After they'd eaten, Jesus comes to speak to Peter, Simon Peter, the one who boasted about sticking with Jesus, even if all the others would fall away, Peter says, I won't. I won't deny you. I'll stay with you. And then just hours later, uh, three times he denies even knowing Jesus at the high priest's house. And what we see here is a gracious reinstalling of Peter to his shepherd-like ministry under the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says the same thing three times, helping us to remember and, and Peter to think back to his own denial of Jesus three times. Three times, do you love me? 
Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Verse 15. Verse 16, do you truly love me? Verse 17, do you love me? Peter's failure at this point now is way back in the rearview mirror as Jesus graciously reinstalls him to this position. Before the cross, Peter had no message. Now he's got his own testimony of Jesus' forgiveness and what eternal life looks like with Jesus for those who believe. He's got bread. He's got bread that he can share now with others. Well, what then is the outworking of this love that's being spoken of by Jesus? What does a a loving shepherd of the flock look like? Well, verse 15, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Verse 16, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Verse 17, feed my sheep. Lambs, sheep, sheep, feed, tend, feed. Some make the distinction here between kind of lambs being new converts to Christianity and sheep being uh, kind of older believers, the difference between loving and tending. Well, I'm not sure if it's on about that at all. I think what Jesus is saying is this. You want to be a pastor? You want to be a teacher? You want to be a small group leader? You want to be a shepherd? Then feed my sheep. Don't starve my sheep. Don't set your concerns on those who are not my sheep. I think it's perhaps one of the biggest tragedies of the modern church is to buy into this idea of seeker-sensitive worship. That's what we need to do. If we want to see the church grow, we need to design the church to make it meet the needs of non-Christians. Romans chapter 3.11 says this. In our natural state, no one seeks God. Not one. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century revival preacher from America, he said, the seeking after God should be the main business of the life of the Christian. Seeking after God and Jesus starts at conversion, but it doesn't stop there. A true seeker-sensitive worship is designed for Christians. The purpose of meeting on a Sunday morning the gathered people, the ecclesia, those who've been rescued out of the world and are now in the body of Christ, the purpose on a church service on a Sunday morning is to feed the sheep of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're here for. We're here to be fed by Jesus. Yes, we're to do evangelism. Yes, we're to engage in outreach and invest in uh, ministries of mercy. But Sunday mornings, well, that belongs to the sheep. And Mike and the whole church family are responsible for feeding and caring for the sheep and the lambs. Now, if the goats come in, right, and we want the goats to come in, that's cool. We want them to be here. But as the goats come in, we're not going to change the food. We're not going to give goats food to sheep. We're going to give the sheep's food to the goats. I don't know if the name... Caroline Abrahams rings any bells to you? Probably doesn't, but she's a director at Age UK. And in a press release that was put out last month, she said it's shocking that more than one million older people suffer from or are at risk of malnutrition in our country. Nearly one in three older people admitted into hospital are already malnourished. And she said it's a hidden problem in our society. And do you know what else is a hidden problem in our society and in the church? Malnutrition in the church. Spiritual malnutrition. There's people in the church that are starving and being starved from the word of God. 
If I was to open up your spiritual refrigerator and take a look inside this week at what you've been eating, would that be enough to satisfy someone for a week? You wouldn't feel a child with just one meal for a week and expect them to keep going. Actually, we need to pay really careful attention to how we're feeding on the Word of God. What have you been eating this week? What's your spiritual diet like? Before Mel and I were married, we went to Tenerife on a holiday. And um, I'm a little bit fussy abroad when it comes to eating. I've had some bad experiences with food poisoning and things like that. But I didn't really know this about Mel. She gets a bit hangry, and I've never really come across this term before, that when she doesn't eat often enough, she gets a bit angry, and she can go a little bit faint. She needs to eat regular uh, and, and often. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not like that. I can eat one big meal, and that can satisfy me for the rest of the day. Uh, but she's not like that. She needs to eat regularly and often, and it's probably a much better diet to have than mine. And our spirit on the inside of us is a bit like that. It's a bit like how Mel eats. We need to eat frequently. We need to eat often. We need to have good meals, nutritious and satisfying meals. We need a healthy physical diet and we need a healthy spiritual diet. Is what you're eating and feeding on in the Word sustaining you in your Christian life so that you can say, do you know what? I found some bread. Do you want to share some bread with me? I mean, we're going to share at the Lord's table in a little while. And let that be an encouragement as we feast on the word of God together, as we feast on the sacrament, be encouraged, take heart, press on this week for the Lord Jesus. Jesus feeds his apostles. Their testimony is true and valid. And Jesus calls the apostles to feed the sheep. Make sure you're eating. Are you well fed? And where is it in your house that you sit down and have a meal? Where do you feast on the Word of God? Can I encourage you, make that a special time when you sit down with the Lord and have his word open before you and you talk to him in prayer. And if you need any help with that, uh, Mike and I would be gladly, we'd, we'd gladly point you to some resources that might be able to help you uh, to do that. Well, let's just look at those last two verses, verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter, uh, the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me, follow me. Peter did indeed have his arms stretched out. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified but he didn't consider himself worthy to be considered the same way the Lord Jesus was. So he was crucified upside down. He was willing to follow Jesus all the way to the end. He bragged about it before the cross. And now this side of the resurrection, he followed Jesus all the way home to be with his Lord and receive everlasting life. Have you done that? Have you fed on Jesus? Has he given you eternal life yet? Do you know that? Well, if, if not, today would be a great day to do that and then come up and receive communion uh, for the first time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your cross. Please help us to be those who feed on the apostles' testimony. Please help us to grow that we might be able to point other people 
to the place where they might find true and living bread in you, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.